I'm afraid of heights. A breaking sign. Why does he scare you? Because he's a zombie and he nibbles brains. Nightmares. Bad dreams. Bad dreams? Rats. One time we were walking to the car and there was a dead rat on the side of the concrete. Well, almost dead, and he was just staring at us. When my mommy and daddy do um a scary face. When when I get in trouble sometimes. A ghost. A ghost? Like a ghost or something? They like do this boo! The tiger. They're super fast and it's impossible to get away from one. <sighs> a weird guy. I'm scared of all bugs. Monkeys, because they're me, and sometimes they steal your car keys. My computer, when I try to log in, it says, something went wrong, please try again later. And it's so creepy. Scary movies, skeletons. Skeletons do this, like this sound. It sounds like nibbling brains. When I hear the smoke alarm, I'm like, <gasps> I'm like, evacuate everyone, evacuate! And then robots do this. They do scary things like this. I am a scary robot. <laughs> Who wants to hang out with that kid? <laughs> Good morning, Happy New Year. My name is Pastor Tom. It is a privilege to be back with you in the new year as we worship. Let's, let's take a moment and just pray. Lord God, we thank you for the privilege that we have to be in your midst and to talk about fear as we enter this new year. We pray that you would speak to us as we open up your word. And God, that we would find that you are a God who is not far away from us, but that you are close, especially when we are afraid. And all God's people said, amen. Well, today we're starting a new sermon series. It's, it's based on fear. That's the title, as you saw in the video. We're going to spend the next two months or so, actually, walking through some of our most common fears. And, and so I was, I was preparing for this. This was actually a series that was suggested by someone. And then I, I asked around, and so many different people um, said, yeah, that's something that would definitely speak to me. And so I went on Facebook in preparation for this back in December, and I posted a question on my Facebook wall. I posted the question, what are your greatest fears? And I was blown away because like 82 different people responded. And I was blown away and surprised because I think back, and I'm not sure that I remember the last time I ever even had a conversation with somebody about something that I was afraid of. I, I don't think we talk about this as a culture. We don't talk about fear. And yet when asked, these people had so many very specific examples of what they're afraid of. And, and more than that, it wasn't the things that you think about. It wasn't like everybody listed that they're afraid of heights or speaking in public or, or something like that. It, it was things like this. The, the first person that, that responded, he said this. He said, his greatest fear is being alone for the rest of his life. And I know him. He'd love to get married and have children someday. And the next person was somebody who's married and has children, and, and that doesn't make you exempt from being afraid. Uh, his name's Cody, and, and he wrote this. He said his fear is not being able to provide for his family. And, and the, his wife, Cody's wife, um, her, her name's Lindsay. She's a friend of mine on Facebook, too. And, and she saw her husband ask, say that, and she wrote this. You're doing better than you think. 
and put a heart. I mean, it, you can say, ah, like that's just beautiful. And, and they have a loving relationship, just wonderful couple. Uh, Spencer, guy I went to seminary with, he's a pastor. He answered the question, what he's afraid of, in saying irrelevance. Holly, um, many of you have met Holly. She's the missionary that we support in Kenya. She answered the question that her greatest fear is failure. Girl I went to high school with, who's, who's a single mother of two girls, she wrote, dying and leaving my girls to grow up without a mother and spiders. <laughs> really not a man of spiders, right? I think those are both very scary, just like errors on the computer, right? Jerry, a friend of mine, um, he actually came to the last time we had a youth um, fundraiser at Culver's, so go out to the pizza ranch. And uh, he is so proud. He was, he's so proud of his identity as, as a successful Special Olympics athlete. He's been doing it for years. And he answered the question of what he's afraid of is not being accepted by society and letting down my family. An older woman whose husband I visited on his deathbed just about a year ago now, and uh, they go to church here, she, she said, he made a comeback, he's doing well now, and she said her greatest fear is being a widow. And she almost was very, very shortly ago. My good friend Paulette, who, who spoke here in 2017, if you were here on Mother's Day, you heard her, um, she's fostered 30 children. Over her 15-year career as a foster parent, she adopted eight of those children. She has biological children as well. And in 2018, she actually received an award as a parent. Like, how many of us as parents receive an award? She got the award Outstanding Advocate Award from the Wisconsin Coalition for Children and Families. And you know what her greatest fear is? That my spouse and children would ever need to heal from my human frailty. That's her fear, fear of rejection, fear of losing a loved one, fear of divorce, fear of not having enough money, fear of the state of our country, fear of war. I could go on and on. We might not talk about it much, but I think it's safe to say that we are virtually all walking around in fear of something. And my hope in the midst of this series is that maybe the greatest takeaway, one of the greatest takeaways that you're going to have as you walk away and as you think about your fears is a very simple one. It's that you're not alone. If you're afraid, you're not alone. You're not the only husband who's afraid of letting down his wife. You're not the only mother who's afraid of letting down her children. You're not the only person who's afraid of the future and what it holds. Missionaries in Kenya are afraid of failing. Millionaires are afraid of losing everything. Seminary graduates are afraid of being irrelevant. Husbands and of loving and supportive wives are still afraid of not being enough. And loving parents who have won awards for their parenting are afraid of hurting their own children. And those are just my friends. Those are just the people that I personally know and some of you know as well. If we turn to the Bible, we'll see that it's just as common here as it was in my circle, the, the word afraid and the word fear, if we look at both of those words in the English translation of our Bibles, is found over 500 times in Scripture. Over 500 times. The very beginning in Genesis, Adam hid from God. And when God asked him why, he said this. He said, I heard you in the garden and I was, say it with me, afraid. I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. And that's really the crux of fear, right? It's it's really what it's all about, being naked, being afraid of losing our covering, being vulnerable, being without 
that safety of a relationship or our own support system or our identity in the eyes of others or, or our money or our health or our reputation. And so as we go through this series, that's what we're going to talk about is those most common fears. Next week we're going to talk about rejection because so many of us deal with the fear of rejection. But today, as we enter into the series, I want to kind of take a step back. I want to go 30,000 feet up, and, and I want to talk about where God is in whatever it is that you're afraid of. Like, what does God's relationship with us look like when it comes to our fears? And the way we're going to do that is we're going to open up to Psalm 56. And I didn't read it at the beginning intentionally because I'm going to tell you what it's about, and then we're going to get into it. If you want to open up your Bible, it's on page 397. And you'll want to have it because I want you to have it in front of you. Um, so open it up now. And, and part of the reason is I want you to look, and you'll see that there's above or below the, the title, Psalm 56, it, you'll see that there's some information about this passage we're going to read. It's a prayer. It's a poem. It's, it was put to music. And, and among other things, it says that it was written by David, and it was written when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Now, the reason that's important is because we can actually read about that exact situation in another part of the Bible. And so I want to read that first so that you know where David's prayer is coming from. So a little background. The Philistines were kind of the, the chief enemy of the nation of Israel at this moment in history. And you know David is King David, but he wasn't the king yet. He was in this awkward season of waiting. We know he's going to become a king. He's going to become the king of Israel, but he isn't the king yet. Now, how many of you remember the story of David and Goliath? Show of hands, right? You've heard that story. That happened not terribly long ago. Goliath was a Philistine. He was a giant Philistine, and David was successful at beating him, at killing him, but also at getting at many, many others in the Philistine army. He was very successful. And so that's important for you to understand, because in this moment, he is not the king. A different guy, his name is Saul, is the king of Israel. And Saul started to get very jealous of David and his success against these common enemies. And Saul knew his time on the throne was limited, that David would eventually become king. And so I just want to ask you, what would you do in Saul's situation if you are the king and you know that this other guy is going to take your throne? What would you do? Anybody? Well, who is that? You'd kill him? That's terrible. Would your son kill somebody? I asked what you would do, not what Saul would do. Al Zimmerman said the same thing at the last service. I think we need to talk about murder next week, the fear of murder. No, I'm just kidding. You're just like Saul. That's exactly what happened. Saul wanted to kill him. And so he pursues him with his military. He chases him out. And David is running for his life from his very people. And it says in 1 Samuel 21.10, That day David fled from Saul, and he went to Achish king of Gath. Now, I just want to say as we read into this, that we don't generally make the best decisions when we are in a constant state of fear, do we? Like, just think about the last time you were running on fear. Like, like it, we make poor decisions. It's, it's because God didn't design us 
to live with the spirit of fear. That's what his word says. But he did design us to live in occasional fear over specific moments. If somebody's going to come and, and my, my two-year-old a couple of weeks ago almost ran out into the street. And so my amygdala and my brain, this primitive flight and fight uh, response came out and I grabbed her as quickly as I could. And that's normal and that's healthy and that's what you're supposed to have. But if that part of your brain is running all the time, it leads to destruction. It's not designed to be running 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And yet for David, that's exactly what was happening. And so in his haste, he's running from King Saul. He's running from your son, who's going to kill him. And, and he runs right into the Philistine city of Gath. He runs into the Philistine city of Gath. And he hopes that they're not going to recognize him. But here, this story gets better. The problem is if you look at 1 Samuel, if you look just before that passage, you don't have to. I'll tell you what happens here. He actually picks up a sword. David picks up a sword. And can you guess whose sword he picks up? Goliath's. And so David is running from Saul. I can't make this up. He takes Goliath's sword, you know, the guy that he killed, the big Philistine that David killed. He runs into the Philistine city of Gath, and he hopes nobody's going to notice him. How do you think that's going to work? <laughs> Verse 11, the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David, <laughs> the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sang about in their dances? Saul has slain thousands, and David his tens of thousands. See, David has become very popular in the nation of Israel. They're singing about him. They're dancing about him because of his success against the Philistines. And you've got to imagine that stroke David's ego just a little bit, right? Like when you're hearing all those wonderful things being spoken of about you. But none of that matters right now because those people aren't there. He is in Gath in the midst of his enemy being chased by the very king of his own country in the military. So he's surrounded, and they're coming after him. And before I show you the next verse, I just want you to, I want you to answer this question. If you were in David's shoes, what would you do? What would you do? Any, anybody? How many of you would hide? Okay, that's not going to work. Somebody said that at the last service. Can't hide, because you're literally surrounded, Right? Start swinging that sword, right? That Somebody else said that too. You are surrounded. The only reason you're going to swing that sword is for your own pride. Because you start swinging that sword, you're going to be killed. you got all the Philistines. you got King Saul's army. Like This is the one thing that they can all agree on in this moment is that you should be dead. So I might do the same thing, but it's only because if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out in glory. And we know the story, right? We know that David doesn't die in this moment. And he can't hide, and he can't swing the sword. So what does he do? He acts like a crazy person, of course. And I'm not making this up. I read this as I'm preparing, and I'm like, I get to come back in the new year and preach on this story. This is so much fun. Verse, verse 12. David took these words to heart. He was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. And so he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the door of the gate and letting saliva drip down his beard. <laughs> this is in the Bible, folks. And I found, I found a picture from this moment. I, know, I didn't even know there was cameras back then, but I found this low-resolution picture of David at that moment in Gath. Take a look. Take a look. 
Akish said to his servants, look at the man, he's insane. He's insane, why'd you bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen in this country that you gotta bring this fellow to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? Now, now what's the moral of this, this crazy story? What's the moral? David's afraid, right? He's running away from his fears. It leads him right into the arms of his enemy, and his last resort is to act like a crazy person to get out of it. Well, I think one of the morals is, is a question, how many of us have done the same thing when we run away from what we're afraid of? Like, how, how many of us in our fears have made foolish decisions and ran right into the very thing that causes our destruction? How many of us, when we're, when we're lonely and we're afraid of, of not having companionship, run into the arms of someone that really isn't going to provide what we know we need? How many of us, in fear of rejection by those around us, end up making decisions, buying things maybe that put us in a financial peril that we are now in danger because we're trying to accept or receive the acceptance of the people around us? How many of us parents, and I'll put myself on this, are so afraid that our children are going to get hurt? And I'm, I'm there, right? That we shelter our kids to such an extent, though, that at the second that they have a taste of freedom, they end up running into the very things that we have tried so hard to shelter them from. Do you see what I mean? But see, if I just stop there, it's like, well, that's sad, <laughs> I want to point out the grace in this moment. The grace is, without the sword and without running away, David still escapes. He still escapes into a cave. And if you read the rest of that part of the story, you know who ends up coming to his rescue? It's his family, and it's a couple hundred other people, misfits from the nation of Israel, who are also running away from Saul. It's a common people with a common fear of a common enemy, and they're all running toward hope. And when David can finally step back for a moment and take a deep breath and write down his prayers, the first thing he says in Psalm 56, verse 1, is, Be merciful to me, my God. This is what he prayed in the midst of that whole story I just told you. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long, they press their attack. You can hear David saying, I can't take it anymore. I can't be afraid any longer. I'm exhausted, and they just won't let up. And I wonder how many of us are there too. How many of us in the midst, in the midst of whatever we're afraid of, Maybe you came here this morning because you knew this is what we were going to talk about and you're afraid. And maybe you haven't told anybody what you're afraid of, but, but you know that you can't take it anymore either. And so I want you to notice the first thing David prays. In our fears, God meets us with mercy. In our fears, God meets us with mercy. He asks for mercy. And because he knows God and he knows God's going to give it to him, he can continue the prayer by saying, my adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When I am afraid. Not if I am afraid, but when I am afraid, because fear, the second thing we learn, is normal. It's not a sin. And it's normal. Fear is not a sin. And, and I want to be really clear about that. I feel very strongly about this as I look through the scriptures. Fear is not a sin. 
And I'm saying that because I think so many of us, especially when you're a Christian, right? And you're told that you have your hope in Jesus, and he died on the cross, and he rose from the grave, and that's the gospel, folks, and that's wonderful. And, and I believe in all of those things, but then sometimes we, we shame ourselves when we're still afraid. We shame ourselves when we don't have faith. We shame ourselves when we have fear. And David does none of those things. You don't read the next verse of Psalm 56 and David is praying, God, why am I so dumb? I ran right into Gath. Like, how, why did I not look at a map, right? Like, you don't see that. You don't see David replay the moment when saliva was dripping down his beard. Like, that's disgusting. But yet he doesn't write in his prayers and go, oh God, why did I do that? Why am I so, you know, you know what I'm saying? But how many of us in our own self-talk, in our own minds, how many of us do that? How many of us shame ourselves in the midst of what we're afraid of? How many of us start there? See, David, David's not perfect. He's made many, many mistakes, and he'll continue to make many, many more but he is also a man after God's own heart, and his wisdom is found loud and clear in this passage. He does not waste a single ounce of time doing any of that because he realizes that if he continues to beat himself up, it continues to put his focus on himself. And if he keeps focusing on himself, he's not ever going to feel comfortable. He's just going to keep living in this amygdala state of mind. And he's going to be running, and he's going to be drooling, and he's going to be crazy, and he's exhausted. And he can't take it anymore. And so he gives up control. He doesn't give up. He gives up control. He asks for mercy. He takes his eyes off of himself and he puts them toward God. Verse 4, he says, In God whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. It's the third thing we learn, that when we're afraid, focus on God. Focus on God. Fear may not be a sin, but if we don't want to live in fear, and God didn't design us to live in fear, we're going to have to change our perspective. It cannot be the thing that we focus our eyes on or it will eat us alive. And, and I, I, I learned this very clearly just this week. My, my son Jacob, who's 10, uh, he came to me after he had gone to bed. Earlier that day, we, we had the TV on. We were trying to watch the Rose Bowl. And by one point, right? Like, I'm, is that too soon? <laughs> I'm not even a college football guy. I feel bad. And, and, and so it was just kind of in this lull, this kind of depression. The TV was on, and, and it was on mute. And this TV show came on, and I don't know what it was, but there was this, like, really scary zombie character that showed up on the TV. And, and my kids saw it, and, of course, we, we shut it off right away. But they went to bed, and Jacob, who's 10, he got up. I asked him if it was okay if I could share this with you. And he said it was, and, and he got up and he found me. I was painting in the, in the basement. That's how I paint. It's like that. <laughs> it's very messy. <laughs> and um, he says, Dad, I can't sleep. That zombie that I saw on TV, it just keeps popping into my head. And, and he's 10, right? So he's had lots of these experiences. So he knows what I'm going to say. And he says it first. He says, Dad, I did what you always tell me to do. I tried to think about something else, but I thought about race cars, and it just didn't work. <laughs> And, and I'd been preparing, right? I've been preparing for this whole series on fear. And I thought, if there was ever a moment where a parent was more prepared to answer this question about my son being afraid, it, it, it was it, this, this moment, right? Like, I'm prepared. And so I said, you can't think about race cars. you got to think about something bigger. Think about God. 
think about God. And so, so he listened, and, and it seemed to work. He went to bed. He didn't get up. And then the next morning when he woke up, I said, so how did that go, Jake? Did you, were you able to sleep? Did you think about God? And he said to me, you know, Dad, actually, I, I tried to think about God, but, but I don't really know what God looks like. And so I thought about the Hulk crushing the zombie. <laughs> and that worked. <laughs> and then I fell asleep. <laughs> And I love that, you know, because here's, here's the, just the truth. Like, it's not that Jacob doesn't believe God is bigger than this zombie, right? It's what, what he knew as a child is that he needed a tangible, physical image of something to sink his imagination into, something that's bigger than his fear. And he's been watching the Avengers movie, and so the Hulk came to his mind, and he took what he knows about God as being huge and powerful, and it led his brain to think of the Hulk, and he was no longer afraid. You see, David did the exact same thing. He says, he says, what can mere mortals do to me? Well, the truth is mere mortals can do a lot. They can kill you. And that's exactly what they're about to do. He says, all day long, they twist my words. Their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire. They lurk. They watch my steps, hoping to take my life. He doesn't beat himself up, but he is also brutally honest about how scary what it is he's facing is. He's not exaggerating. But with a mighty God and as an image in his mind, he prays this. He says, because of their wickedness, God, do not let them escape. In your anger, God, bring the nations down. And we're afraid to pray that way, right? I can't pray that God will do that, but there's a difference between your anger and God's anger. God's anger is righteous. God wants what's right. He says, in your anger, bring righteousness to the situation. Not in my anger, because my anger comes from my amygdala, and it takes over, and I run like a buffoon. And so in your anger, God, verse 8, record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Are they not in your record? Different verse, different um, translation of that verse says this. You keep count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. When I read that list of things that people are afraid of on my Facebook wall, I actually cried. I'm serious. I actually cried because what I know about God through his word is that God intimately cares about every single one of those things that people are afraid of. God cares so much so, and David knows this, that David knows that God is counting every one of his tears. Not a single tear falls from the eyes of David or any child that God has created, which includes every single person in this room, without God knowing it and recording it. God's presence is found in every tear that falls by the weight of loneliness, rejection, anxiety over the unknown, loss of loved ones, and seemingly impossible situations. And that fact alone that God records our tears is enough for David to have the confidence to say next, then my enemies will turn back. Hasn't happened yet, but I have confidence when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can 
man do to me? He asked it before. He's asking it again. He says, I am under vows to you, God. I will present my thank offerings to you. You have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling that I may walk before God in the light of life. David says, I may be under extreme pressure and fear from all angles, but my vows do not go to the people around me. My vows go to you, God. And you, God, alone at the end of the day are not who I answer to because these people cannot deliver me from death, but God, you can. And with that perspective, what I want to walk away with from this today is that our fears can become God's opportunities to show us his love. Our fears, with a faith perspective, not being a sin, can become our opportunity for God to show us his love. And and it's actually very simple. I think about this as a parent, right? When my kids are afraid, it is an opportunity for me to come alongside them in the midst of their fear and show them that I love them. Our same 10-year-old, Jacob, about a couple of days ago, he had an allergic reaction to something, and we needed to take him to the emergency room. He's fine. He's doing very well. But in that moment, in other moments like it, we've dropped everything, and we've come alongside him. It's not that we want him to be afraid, but it's an opportunity for us as his loving parents to show him that we can be trusted by coming alongside of him. And, and you just think about it like parents of, of pre-teens, right? Like, like as, they, as they get to be that kind of age where they're no longer like cuddling up against you, um, and, and they don't, you know, they don't want to like physical touch, and they want to be associated with you. Parents, like, don't, don't you kind of relish, though, in that moment when you're watching the zombie movie on TV and they're afraid and they don't say anything, but they just kind of scoot over next to you? <laughs> you don't dare touch them because then they'll notice what they're doing, right, and they'll run away. But you relish in the opportunity because it's an opportunity for you to show them that you can be trusted. And it does something for you as much as it's doing something for them because you love them. And the reason I'm telling you this, friends, is because it's, it's how God feels about you. He's your heavenly father. And he feels the same way, even more so. And he's proved it through Jesus and this, this story we've all heard of, right? Jesus, in, in the gospel, three of the gospels it's recorded, but in the gospel of Matthew, I'll read that here. He, he, had, he had sent the disciples out ahead of him one night. They just fed the, the multitudes, and it was a crazy night, and so everybody just needed a break. And so... The disciples go out on a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. Like, this is huge. It's not like Lake Geneva, folks. And so they go out onto the lake, and, and Jesus hangs out back on the shore. And a mighty wave came, and it caused these huge waves. And it says in Matthew 14, shortly before the dawn, Jesus went out to them, and he walked on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they had the most natural human response, the same one you would have. They were terrified. They were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in, say it with me, fear. But Jesus immediately, and I'm going to go back to that word, immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. God may not resolve the things that we're afraid of in this moment, but he will not haste in coming to you the moment that you're scared and you call out to him. He does not wait and go, you know what? I'm going to let them freak out for the next 10 minutes. I'm going to go, boo. 
Like, he doesn't do that. They're really legitimately scared. And so Jesus immediately says to them, relax, relax, guys. It's me. Don't be afraid. But of course, I've never seen anybody walk on water, neither have they. And so, so Peter says, Lord, if it's you, I'm not buying it yet. If it's you, tell me to come to you out on the water. And Jesus says, come. And so Peter got up out of the boat, and he walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord Jesus, save me. He was doing so well. But what happened is he looked at the waves, and when he looked at the waves, his amygdala took over, and he started to sink. But again, that word I showed you before, verse 31, immediately immediately Jesus reached out. He didn't wait until he went under the water for a little while. Serves you right. Learn to trust me. Some of the parents are laughing. Like, That's how I taught my kid how to swim. <laughs> Jesus is more compassionate than that. He reaches out immediately. He reaches out his hand, and he catches them. And he... He says, you have little faith. It's not a judgment. He says, he says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And, and when they climbed into the boat and the wind died down, those who were in the boat worshiped Jesus, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. You know why? Because our fears become God's opportunities to show us his love. And so my prayer for you, for all of us, because we all struggle with fear, is that we would not be afraid alone. Can I say that again? That we would not be afraid alone, but that over this series we would scoot just a little bit closer to God on the couch. That we would step out and get out on the boat and we would focus on him, not the waves, knowing that he is our heavenly father who loves us and that in him we do not need to be afraid. Amen? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are not a simplistic God and you have not welcomed us into a simplistic faith. That in this world you've promised us, you told us what we already know, there will be trouble. But then you told us to take heart because you have overcome the world. Which means you have overcome our fears. And so, God, I pray that you would speak that truth to each and every one of us into our hearts this morning, no matter what it is that we're afraid of, afraid of failing, afraid of looking bad to our families and friends, afraid of rejection, afraid of the future that is unknown, afraid of our failing health, afraid of not being enough. Whatever our fears are, God, may we bring them before you. And for many of us, we may be just like David. The enemy is, is pushing us. It's not this fear that is, that is ridiculous and, and, and out there and overblown, but we are, we're actually being pursued by the very thing that could take our life. And so, God, if that's, if that's somebody in this room, I just pray that they would picture themselves like Peter in the midst of the waves, knowing that if we keep our eyes on you, we can step above it. And that you will take us by the hand and you will save us from drowning until the day when you pull us into the boat and the storm subsides. We meet you face to face say surely 